Welcome to Living Faith's weekly online sermon. For more information, please go to livingfaith.org.au. Today's reading is Matthew chapter 11, verses 16 to 19, and verses 25 to 30. To what can I compare this generation? They like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and to those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, Chapter 11 today is Jesus continuing his teaching on healing and on mission and the work that we've been given to do in the world. He's talking about how it works today, really, spiritually relationally, um, how we carry out that work. It starts um, with Jesus following his disciples, going into the towns that he sent them into. And he preaches and uh, the story of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom of God. And he heals the sick and uh, does all of those miracles as he follows his disciples through. At one point, the disciples of John come to Jesus and uh, say that their master, John the Baptist, is uh, having some doubts. He's uncertain. He's asking if Jesus really is the one that God sent. So straight away we have a conversation about uh, Jesus' identity here. And Jesus says to the disciples of John the Baptist, he says, look, go back to them and tell them what you've seen. Uh, Raising of the dead, the healing of the sick and all the other miracles, telling that. And John will know that these were prophesied about Messiah. And when you say you've seen it, John will be certain then, and his doubts will be allayed. The miracles and the teachings of Jesus uh, match the prophetic words of the Old Covenant uh, in regard uh, to Jesus, and demonstrate that he really is sent by God. Uh, His miracles demonstrate he is who he says he is. 
The other side of this is the identity of the people of Israel. Because they're his audience. And he's talking to them. Speaking about the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law, uh, he, he starts to talk about the demise of Nazareth and of Bethsaida. Nazareth is his hometown. Bethsaida is the hometown of many of the disciples, the fishermen particularly. It's a fishing village. And he says, woe unto them. Um, in, in Hebrew, uh, particularly if you've watched uh, American television and sitcoms, you might have heard the expression, oi vey, uh, woe is me. That oi is the word Jesus uses here. Woe to Bethsaida and woe to Nazareth and also to Chorazan, uh, another uh, town in that area. He says, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah are going to be treated better at the final judgment than these towns. Why? Because they had witnessed the teaching and the miracles of Jesus. And yet so many there had not believed. Particularly the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious teachers of the day. They hadn't believed. And yet they'd witnessed everything Jesus had said and done. So, judgment on those people in those places was going to be much harsher at the end of time. Because they'd had every opportunity to reflect upon Jesus, what he was saying, what he was doing, in consideration of what they had been taught through the scriptures in the past, indeed through what many of them had taught themselves to others through the scriptures. So failing to respond to the message of the kingdom that Jesus was proclaiming, to see the signs and wonders of Jesus as signs of Messiah and the coming kingdom of God could very much end up uh, in losing this gift of eternal life. So again, we're warned today to pay close attention to Jesus, to put ourselves at his feet and listen to what he teaches and to watch carefully as apprentices, uh, it's just another word for disciples, as apprentices who are watching their master at work and will at some point be required by him to do the same work. As we get to the end of the text, and now that we realise that Jesus is Messiah, that we've heard his words and seen his actions, we get to the end of the text, uh, chapter 11, where Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy. Well, how does it finish? Mental blank. Wrong page. My yoke is easy, for I am gentle at heart. You will find the rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Uh, the word easy is probably not the best translation in our day and age. As you will be aware, uh, English is in, always in a state of growth and change. We don't speak King James English anymore. Uh, we don't speak Shakespearean English. The English uh, of the late 18th century, uh, as it entered onto Australia's shore, is no longer spoken in Australia. The, the version of English we speak is 21st century English, and it varies to the English spoken in America and 
even to the place of origin in the UK, language there, English there is different to the language we speak in Australia. We understand each other for the most part, but there have been great variations um, in vocabulary, but also in dialect. Um, Americans have great trouble understanding Australians. Strangely enough, we understand them very well because we've been watching their television for 30 years. Uh, English in India is different to English in Australia. Accents vary greatly and the use of vocabulary varies greatly. And what enters into pop culture in Australia may not be the same as it is in the US or in the UK or in other English speaking parts of the globe. So English is always in a state of flux. At one time the word fool meant somebody who was uneducated. Didn't mean they were unintelligent, but they were self-educated and not educated by others. And now a fool means somebody who's stupid, who's an idiot, and it's just not, it's not the original use of the word. So now we have the word easy. My yoke is easy, Jesus says. Um, the Greek word in the New, New Testament, uh, in the uh, Christian part of the Bible, uh, agrees almost uh, completely with the Hebrew word. Uh, that is used in the Hebrew version of the Gospel of Matthew. It's the word tov, which means good. Tov, good. But also it means more than that. It, it's got a wider range of meaning, like most vocabulary. The choice of using easy uh, might have worked 15, 20 years ago, but it doesn't work anymore because if something is easy, it means it takes no effort. That's how we use the word easy. Ah, oh, it's easy. No effort at all. No real great understanding required. It's easy, you can do it blindfolded, we say. Well, that's not what this means. <laughs> so if we take the, the central meaning of the Greek and Hebrew words and say, good, my yoke is good, that changes the meaning quite considerably, doesn't it? Because Jesus says, you call me good teacher, but who is good? Why do you call me good? Well, good is just a variant of God. It's godly. It's goodly. It's good. Jesus' yoke is good because it's godly. And because it's godly, it's easier. Not easy, but easier. Easier than what? Easier than the yoke we were carrying beforehand. If we go back a few verses, Jesus is talking about children. He's talking about two kinds of children. First of all, he's talking about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law as children sitting in the marketplace, playing tunes on a flute and calling out to the other children. They're playing tunes on a flute wanting the other children to dance to their tune. They're calling out to them to sing to the song that they've prepared for them. This is about a small religious few uh, commanding and ordering the lives of others, those who are simple people. Then Jesus talks about the children who are simple people, the fools, in the original meaning of that. Uneducated folk, tradespeople, but not educated in Torah the way that Pharisees and scribes were. People of a simple understanding because they simply lack the education, not unintelligent at all, just simply haven't had the benefit of being educated by Pharisees. So the first lot of children, the Pharisees, are bossing others around. They're 
playing the tune and they're calling out the words and they're demanding and commanding others be obedient to them. And Jesus says, no, look, don't live under their yoke any longer. You have been living under their yoke for generations, under all of those rules and regulations which have become a burden to living for you, that suck the joy out of the room. Don't live that way any longer. Take off that yoke and put my yoke upon you. Which was an interesting thing in itself because rabbis would speak to their students by saying, take on the yoke of Torah. Take on the yoke of God. Meaning Torah. And meaning, too, all of their included um, rules and regulations. The ones that they'd made up. The ones that they'd added to scripture. When Jesus says, no, I'm not having any of that, neither should you. I'm not going to carry that burden around because it's ungodly. I want you to carry only godly burdens. So take my yoke upon you. After all, who am I? Who do you say that I am? Well, we've been saying up until this point that Jesus has demonstrated through his teaching and his actions that he is the Messiah of God. For us, in hindsight, we say, well, that means the Son of God, that Jesus is God himself. So he calls us to take on the yoke of God in the way that he teaches it and to take off the yoke of manipulation, of control, stop trying to call the shots, stop trying to control the people around us so that we get the outcomes that we think are desirable and rather let go of that, take God's yoke upon ourselves and allow him to determine the desired outcomes for life for us. Take on Jesus' yoke, because it's easier than the one we've been carrying around. This is about being sinner and saint, a broken person, yet healed and redeemed by Jesus. Every day, we have the choice to live a new life, the baptised life of being in Christ, remembering that for those who have been baptised, and you can be if you're not, but for those who have been baptised, we remember that we had the name of God placed upon us. There was this external symbol that everybody watched. There was this washing with, with simple water, which has no power within itself. But it was symbolic of what God was doing in that moment. Washing us clean by the blood of Christ. Buying us back from darkness and bringing us into light. From ignorance into illumination and understanding from death, from sinful way of thinking and acting in life to a place where we would live with illumination and understanding and could see a little more clearly the way forward, particularly the way forward in relationship with God and with others. How to live a life which has meaning and purpose. This only comes by taking off our, the yoke of brokenness and not playing the tune for others, not calling out the words that they need to sing. Stop control, stop command, stop trying to determine the outcome and rather take Jesus' yoke upon ourselves and let God do that for us. Teaching us how to build relationships, how to make friends, listen to Jesus 
and then be obedient to what we've heard and do what he's said to do. Build bridges through prayer and laying on of hands, through bringing the mercy and compassion of God into the lives of those around us. It's a much simpler way of life. And he's done it for simple folk. Now I've got higher education. I could easily choose to go the way of the Pharisee and let my own brilliance lead me in life. A few the times that I've tried it, I've kind of ended up flat on my face. It's easier to listen to Jesus, to sit at his feet, to listen to his words, and then to put it into action. So this week is once again a call to arms. A call to arms as a Christian begins with sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to sermons, mine and others, picking the Bible up primarily, and preaching your own sermon to yourself, praying what I pray at the beginning of this, asking God to speak through you and into you. Uh, not my words, but your words, Lord. Not your words, not your intellect as you read scripture only. Well, intellect, of course, use it, God gave it to you. But also listen to what God is saying through it. And learn and understand. And as you understand, put it into action. Because the failure to put it into action leaves us without the experience of doing the work. We may know the theory, but unless we develop the motor function, <laughs> the hand-eye, develop hand-eye coordination in doing what God is doing, uh, developing muscle memory in what we do in practice, we'll never be truly good at it and we'll give up too easily. So the more we practice what we've learnt, the more we put it into practice, the more we do it, the more hand-eye coordination improves, the more our muscle memory increases, so that doing the loving of God comes far more automatically than it did in the past. It'll always be a problem because we're still broken people and, and we'll still need to die daily in our baptism. So, what was it? Die today. Let the Spirit draw us deep into the river of life where our old nature, our sinful broken self is drowned and put to death again today and again tomorrow and again the day after. And then wait on God. Read the scriptures. Contemplate what God is saying to you as you sit there deep down old nature drowned in the river of life and let God teach you how to breathe in that atmosphere of life. It's the river of life. The word of God is the river of life. So let God to teach you how to breathe in that atmosphere and therefore how to live according to his word and to his calling to you and to the salvation that he has brought to you. The word salvation also means healing. So live in the healing that God has brought to you and then do what he says to do. Get up, get off your backside and take it with you into the street today and tomorrow and the day after to carry with you new life through prayer, the laying on of hands and the proclamation that the kingdom of God is near. In fact, it's so near, it's within you.
Yeah, peace. Have a great week. I mentioned a book called Keep Christianity Weird by Michael Frost. I'd like to offer you a benediction that Michael Frost offers the reader of the book. Let me offer it to you now. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt, tabernacled, pitched the tent, moved into the neighbourhood, hit the street among us. God became a body. As we prepare to leave, I want you to be aware of your body, your butt sitting on the seat, your dinner sitting at the bottom of your gut, your mind full of the many thoughts of this day. You too are a body, but you are more than just body, more than consumer, more than your appetites and your urges. May your body be charged, fired, infused with the power of the Holy Spirit, like the saints of old, may you be blessed with the knowledge of the profound connection between flesh and spirit. May you feel it in your body. May you feel this connection when you eat. May it be impossible for you to read the Gospels without getting hungry. May you know what your food cost, not just what you paid for it. May it taste good. May you feel this connection with the earth and all creation. May your hands and feet get dirty. May you grow some fruit. May you feel this connection with others. May you love your neighbour, not the ones you wish you had, but the ones you have, human and creature. May you be connected to community built on good sex and intimate friendships. May you know peace and reconciliation in the war zones of relationship, family, household, church and culture. You are the body of Christ. Christ has no body here on earth but yours. Christ has no hands but yours. Christ has no feet but yours. Christ has no butt but yours. So get it off the seat. Dwelt it tabernacle it, pitch it, move it into the neighbourhood, hit the street with it, and may God, the creator, redeemer and sustainer of all bodies, go with you. Amen and Amen. Thank you for downloading this Sunday's sermon podcast from Living Faith. For more information, please go to livingfaith.org.au.